Welcome guys to the Trying Podcast. My name is Nanini and on this podcast I'll be sharing with you the steps that I'll be taking to try and get over my fears and get out of my comfort zone. Hi, it's December 19th on Tuesday, 2023. And I wanted to to start recording this Bridegroom of Blood episode. Um, Bible study <laughs> and the moment I've started going through my notes I've, I've like added more questions like I have more questions and so I decided to like google do some extra research and I found some other people talking about this bridegroom of blood thing and that raised more questions and now I don't even know where to start I think today's episode will just be me asking these questions so that I can slowly study them. I don't think today will be, even though I have written down, I had notes last week written down, but even these notes, (laughs) I've gone through the notes, most of them are questions. Like most of them are questions. Okay. Let's just let's just start by reading Exodus chapter four, verse twenty-four to twenty-six. Actually, let me just first mention last week's episode. Last week's study was about the desires of the heart. Desire. About desire. It was actually just about desire. And what how it's used in specific verses that I read. And then I narrowed down um, in Song of Solomon. I narrowed down the study by reading Songs of Solomon. Song of Solomon? Songs of Solomon? Um, and just sharing what um, what I saw during my private study. And basically that was it for last week's study. Um, but then I was like, the the episode is too long and I had gotten also tired <laughs> speaking. So I was like, I think the next week's episode, today's episode, will be this Bridegroom of Blood episode. Um, this study that I had, that I had um, done last week and so right now not this exact minute but today um some hours ago while i was looking through my notes i realized okay i had not really fleshed out like a lot when it comes to the bridegroom of blood so today's study will just be me thinking through these questions because I've also realized that I am kind of getting used, which is not bad. I'm getting used to seeing the threads in the Old Testament. Like how the narrative is flowing. Okay, so this person, the author is mentioning, say, for example, David and Goliath. And oh, that's connected to the snake. Oh, the offspring crushing the head of the snake. Like I'm see, like I'm getting... 
really good at, at, at seeing those threads, recognizing those threads, those common, common um, patterns. But then I'm realizing that I haven't really touched on the New Testament a lot. In as much as I have read some things and made and done some studies in the New Testament, when it comes to this desires thing, I'm not it's not clear to me as it has been with the Old Testament. But it's definitely there because even while I was studying, Google studying, Googling these things, I was seeing so many verses talking about the desire. And even in my notes, I had written, um, so I had written the desires of the heart, flesh and spirit. I connected that with circumcision of the heart. Like these are things that I wanted to study and then covenants. So I'm, It has taken me a while to press record because I don't know where to start. I thought I had something. I think let me let me also just the same thing I did last week. Let me just share what's happening in my mind right now. The questions where's my pen? The questions and the notes I've written down because I think I don't even think I know like there's so much that I need to um, let me write this down before I forget wedding okay there's so much I need to understand <laughs> so let me start by explaining what I thought the bridegroom of blood was in Exodus chapter 4 let me start by reading oh gosh hmm uh, Let me share this before I move, before I need to cap. Was it not 91, 95? Jeez. Okay. Um, it's fine. I'll find it. I was in Psalms and I didn't want to lose that verse. So, Exodus chapter 4. Should I read the entire chapter? Hmm. Did it start from here? Okay, I don't know. Exodus chapter 4 verse 14. This is when God is telling Moses, I'm sending you to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to, to free my people. And then Moses is like, nah, no, it's not me. I'm not the one. <laughs> Send somebody else. Send somebody else. Like constantly Moses is saying like, no, I can't speak. No, no, I'm not qualified, whatever. So then... Verse 14, then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. And he, when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. 
and I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he, he shall speak for you to the people, and he will be as a mouth for you, and you will be as God to him. You shall take in your hand this staff, the road, this staff, with which you shall perform the signs. Then Moses departed and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law in Midian. And said to him, please, oh, actually he was in Midian, yeah, he was, okay. He returned to his father-in-law and said to him, please let me go that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took his staff and Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, um, let me highlight something. Moses was, was with his wife and sons. I think they were two, if I'm not wrong. But okay, the sons, the wife, and Moses. That's what I'm highlighting. Verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Let me pause for a minute and highlight something. It's about Pharaoh's heart. Because while I was looking for this flesh and spirit and the desires of the heart in the New Testament, like I said, like I was trying to research, I realized that didn't, they weren't really coming to my brain as quickly as the Old Testament um, threads and, and patterns. So I, I came across Romans because, okay, I didn't really, I knew it was somewhere in Romans. I had read somewhere a while back, a while, while back in Romans about the flesh and the spirit. And I was like, I really want to find that verse. And I came across Romans 7 and 8. And as I was reading, Paul even is highlighting Pharaoh and Moses and Jacob. And Jacob is another person who is in my part of my study. So I will eventually read Romans chapter 7, verse, chapter 7 and chapter 8. And maybe chapter 9, but chapter 7 and chapter 8. I don't know if it's today or it's the next time I'm continuing this study, but that's my intention. Because as I'm reading this, again, when I when I started researching, going into the New Testament and trying to understand and finding out like, oh, wow, okay. So there are actually other people who have another view of this bridegroom of blood. They have another understanding. And it's not like off, meaning like it's not like uh, far-fetched. It kind of makes sense also. But then I was like, okay, I'm confused. So with that, while I was in that confusion, I went back to the first, the, I think it was October when, anyway, I went back to the first time I wrote down the bridegroom of blood in my notes. And it was, it was after seeing a YouTube video it was oh, actually it was um the Exodus series that Jordan Peterson was having with the 
at the table with the other guys and I was following that series and in one of the series I think they changed the title that same day but in one of the the episodes they had titled it Bridegroom of Blood and I was like huh okay what is this like literally I did not even remember that it was from the bible so when I listened to the episode I was like oh wait yeah this is a verse where like (laughs) I have no clue what's going on whenever I come across that verse so I listened to them I don't actually even remember what they said by there I don't remember what they said I'm going to go back and try to listen to them but that's why I was like bridegroom of blood huh and I wrote that down it was fascinating the fact the bridegroom of blood like just that statement bridegroom of blood I was like what okay so that's when I that's the first time I wrote that down and I started thinking about it and then I when I read Exodus chapter 4 and came across this part now where I was in in Exodus chapter 4 verse 21 I started to see oh okay so Moses his wife and his sons they are going to Egypt God talks about Pharaoh and his heart right I mean right now at that moment I, I wasn't focusing on Pharaoh's heart because I was not really leaning like that's not where the focus was but right now after studying about the desire I'm now highlighting the heart of Pharaoh as well and so I'm seeing okay so God is telling Moses when you go back to Egypt verse 21 see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go and then God says this because again I was highlighting the sons thing right verse 22 then you shall say to Pharaoh Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Literally, this is what God tells Moses. This is the first thing you should tell. Okay, not really the first thing. But make sure you tell Pharaoh this. Israel, the nation of Israel. But God is just saying, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Okay, so as I'm following this narrative... I know what's going to happen later in verse, is it verse 26, verse 20, from 24, 25, and 26. I know what's going to happen. It's going to include a son being circumcised. And there's somebody's life being saved. Moses' life being saved. Or somebody's life being saved. So there's circumcision and the saving of a life right circumcision comes with blood the spilling of blood and so i'm like why i don't know these are those points where i was like (laughs) i have so many questions let me let me share my, my my thought process so verse 22 god tells moses then you shall say to pharaoh thus says the lord israel is my son my firstborn So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Because again, this is not after Pharaoh said no. God is telling Moses, this is actually what I'm telling you the future. This is literally what Pharaoh is going to do. You're going to say, 
um, Israel is my son, my firstborn, let my son go so that he may serve me. And this is what Pharaoh will do. Pharaoh will refuse to let Israel go. Right? And God is saying, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So there's the, we're introduced to like, there's a son, a firstborn son, who is enslaved. And God wants to set his son free. So God sends Moses on his behalf because Moses is is um, speaking as God to Pharaoh, even to Aaron, but also to Pharaoh. Again, like this is God speaking to Pharaoh through Moses. So God wants to free his son, Israel. He sends Moses, aka, AKA he goes to, before Pharaoh, through Moses, Moses on behalf of God, okay? So, God is telling Pharaoh, because you're not setting my son free, my firstborn son, right? Because you're enslaving, enslaving my son, then I will kill your son. What has gone through my head right now? The wages of sin. Sin is the uh, Galatians. There are many other places, I'm sure. But then I'm remembering Galatians chapter 4 where we see like we are enslaved by sin. Right? We are, we are captives of sin. We are enslaved. And the wages of sin is death. So when Israel is enslaved, it's as though as Israel is dead and needs to be brought, brought back to life. That's actually something I've thought about right now. I had never seen it like that, by the way. I'm thinking if that makes sense. If, because I'm trying to connect again, these are the connections that I'm talking about. I think the Holy Spirit is helping me. <laughs> like, calm down, Nanini. I'm the same God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, so I'll help you see the patterns. Because in the New Testament, we're told, Understand that this is a spiritual battle. From the very beginning, this has always been a spiritual pattern, battle. Right? It's not the flesh. Don't focus on the flesh. Set your eyes on the spirit. Not the flesh, not the earthly. Again, we need to put on God's glasses, what God views. Because God even tells Samuel, man judges by the outward appearance. He judges the flesh. But God looks at the heart. And the heart is not this pumping blood organ. It's the spirit of the man. That's what God judges. The spirit of the man. By man I mean human being. Right? Mankind. <clears throat> so. I'm trying to think if that statement made sense. That Israel. The Israel nation. God's firstborn son is enslaved like physical like their flesh like they're literally being enslaved physically in the natural they're being enslaved but again what is natural is pointing to the spiritual meaning they're also spiritually being enslaved by other gods that's why god punishes egypt 
Egypt's gods. God tells, God says that these plagues, they're punishment to Egypt, the gods of Egypt. So all this time, God is seeing this spiritually. So that's that's the lens I need to come in this with, Senor. So if God wants Israel to be free, He, it's not just the enslavement. The same way Jesus did not just come to heal blind people's eyes and that's it. No, he came to, he didn't just come to give their physical eyes sight. He came to give their spiritual eyes sight. He came, he gave, he came, oh, I can't speak. He came to give sight to those who are spiritually blind. That's the end goal. Life, spiritual, eternal life is spiritual. Is the spirit living forever? The flesh dies. The flesh is not mortal. Not uh, immortal. Mortal. The flesh is mortal. Why am I confusing my brain right now? Mortality. Mortal of a living human being, often in contrast to the divine being, subject to death. Yeah, the flesh is mortal. The flesh is subject to death. It's perishable. It's physical. It's earthly, it's temporal, it's passing, it's worldly, all that, right? The flesh dies. So when God wants to free, God says in, in verse 21, let um, the Lord say to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, so when God sees Egypt, he sees the gods of Egypt. So when you're talking to Pharaoh, understand Moses, you're talking to the gods of Egypt. Egypt the same way in Ezekiel chapter 28 I think so when king of Tyre God is speaking to the quote-unquote Pharaoh but also he later on speaks to the gods of Tyre the prince of Tyre so he speaks to the king of Tyre the Pharaoh in quotes Pharaoh and then he speaks to the gods of Tyre the prince of Tyre so now God is sending Moses to Egypt to speak to Pharaoh. And by speaking to Pharaoh, God is warning the gods of Egypt. So God says, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. That's why when Moses is performing these miracles, um, Pharaoh has his also. He has Pharaoh also has his minions who are also performing this this um, miracle, miraculous things, because it's all spiritual, right? So see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, "Thus says the Lord." I'm highlighting the sun thing because this is what I had seen from the beginning. And with this other understanding that I read from, I think I'll also attach, I keep saying that I'll write these show notes, but I've been writing them, but I've not been, I actually have them ready, but I haven't like um, edited them and in the published episode, like I have them on my phone the show notes of the episodes that ha don't have show notes currently i have them ready but i haven't okay some of them i haven't finished because i haven't added the links 
but most of it's it's something that can be done in a day so i know that i need to do but for this episode i'll also add a link to that um that uh what do you call it that article it's not really an article it's a website but it's on their website i've come across some people explaining this bridegroom of blood <clears throat> and it's the um it's not really a confusion but like the argument or like the two sides of seeing this is on that word bridegroom it can mean kingsman or bridegroom it can mean the son that's why i'm highlighting the son here it can mean the son or son-in-law like the son I'll, I'll, I'll read bible hub eventually but those are the two views um i'm studying right now is it the kingsman of blood or is it bridegroom of blood and does if it's both like if it can be used interchangeably that's exact word that has been used there is it pointing to christ in any way because even in my notes i hadn't i hadn't actually even talked about christ i only literally in the last part of my notes one sentence that's when i so like, oh, maybe there's a connection to Christ here in this way. So anyway, Israel is my, my son, my firstborn. Verse 23, so I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. So th- I was thinking like, okay, my statement that Israel is enslaved, right, by Egypt, but also by sin, by the gods of Egypt. And if you're enslaved by sin, the wages of sin is death. So I was... I mentioned how like maybe Israel, the way God sees this, like the the um yeah, the way God sees this is Israel is dead and I need to bring my son back to life. And do you see how that is so clearly connected to Christ? That's what I'm saying, like I think let me continue studying because I had not I didn't have that in my notes, but that's a good thing to have. Let me actually write that. This is verse what? 22. I didn't write. Oh, I wrote 22. Um, let me write here in brackets. Enslaved by sin. Wages dash death. Bring my son back to life i think i'll understand my own to not let me put in brackets as if god is speaking in quotes not in brackets okay okay so i think that makes sense i think to god israel is dead one they don't know him right yes they are descendants of abraham but they don't know him god literally has to introduce himself they don't have a name for god because they don't know god and they are now enslaved by other gods so if you're not in if you're not in if you're not in christ if you're not in god's presence you know if you're not communing with god then you're dead because god is life if you're not in god if you're not joined that's a thing that has 
that I'm seeing, even in the New Testament, it's talked about sana. And I understand because I've been talking about, I've been studying this joining of man and woman becoming one flesh. And that's what Christ came to do, to join with his bride. So God's goal from the very beginning is to join with his bride. To bring his son to him. To save his son from death to life. I'm trying to think what I was talking about before this. <clears throat> Bring my son back to life. Israel, my firstborn son. I was talking about joining. Okay, yeah. So, God wants. Let me pause and actually listen to myself. <laughs> that last sentence, I don't know why how I got to joining, by the way. Oh, yeah. I was talking about if you're not joined to God, you're dead. Because God is life. It's like if you're not in the fire. If you're not in the fire. The What was Song of Solomon said? What was said? If you're not in the very flame of the Lord. If, if the flame of God has not surrounded you. This is Zachariah. Zachariah. Right? I'll be the, the wall of fire. Surrounding my people. That's what God says. So if you're not in the flame, if God is not in you and you're not in him, you're dead. That is eternal life generally. So that we may be in Christ and Christ may be in us. Eternal life is, this is John chapter 7, John 17 verse 1 or verse 2. Eternal life is knowing. Knowing. And knowing is it's this, this bride and bridegroom language, the knowing, it's, it's intimate, it's, um, it's an intimate word, it's connected to intimacy. If, if you don't, for you to know your bridegroom and your bride, you need to be intimate. You need to be one flesh. So Jesus says, let me actually jump to that. John 17, John 17 verse 1, what, it's not John 17, <laughs> John 7, no, it's, it can't be John 7, no, John 17, hmm, John 27, what is it, John 14, let me actually just scroll and see, is it not in John, huh, oh it's John 17, <laughs> Because I'm seeing the high, the high priestly prayer, and I'm assuming like I don't know why I thought Jesus is speaking to the high priests, and I'm like, no, I want where Jesus is praying. So it's John 17. <laughs> wow. Okay. Jesus says Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes to heaven. This is I'm coming here to 
understand what eternal life is, the knowing, right? He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to all who you have given him he may give eternal life. Verse 3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the joining with God, the knowing God, the communing with God, partaking of God, that is life. So back to Exodus. So the Israelites, it's like they were dead and God was bringing back his son to life. Wow, that's a fresh way of understanding that verse. <laughs> like that entire thing with the Israelites from Egypt. God freeing the Israelites. But he kept on saying, like, can you imagine the Exodus is the is the most it's oh gosh, like the Passover springs up from the Exodus, like God freeing the Israelites. The law is after the Exodus, like Oh wow. It's like God was resuscitating his son. Okay. I don't know if I've used the right words. But let's go back to verse 22. So I think that statement makes sense. Israel is, according to God, Israel is dead and he needs to bring them back to life. Right? To free them from the gods. To free them from sin. Right? <coughs> So verse 22, then you shall say to Pharaoh, that says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So if my son is dead, and I'm telling you to give me my son so that I can give him life, then I'm going to kill your son. You're killing my son, I'll kill your son. That's basically how I'm understanding that, right? Verse 24. Now it came about at the lodging place. On the way that the Lord... On the way... Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Who is the him? Now this is the this is where the the questions start flowing from different people the lord met him did the lord meet moses did the lord meet moses' son because the only hymns here it's moses and his sons those are the only males my in my understanding it's talking about god and moses now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the lord met moses and sought to put moses to death sought to put him to death right there are people who say the Lord met him, Moses' son, one of the sons, because Zipporah circumcises one of her sons for skin. Right? She doesn't circumcise both her sons. Because now leaves me with the question was which son is the one who circumcised the younger one or the firstborn? Because if God is talking about Israel being his firstborn, is there a link between Moses' firstborn being circumcised? Or is the second firstborn... <gasps> Chill. 
It's probably the second, maybe. Okay. Ah, gosh. These are those things. This, this is that point where I don't know what, what to share because it might confuse whoever is listening because I've already read that article so I know what I'm referring to. Let me think. Okay, how will I phrase this? So basically, that article was talking about how in the Midian, for the Midianites, Zipporah is a Midianite, right? Moses married into the Midian culture. So they weren't all, the, the people who wrote that weren't also exactly sure about the Midianite culture, but they said like, it's probable that the Midians, they cited another article that the the way the Midianites circumcised, they circumcised their, their sons before they, the sons got married. You see, God in Genesis chapter 17 tells Abraham, you circumcise, you will be circumcised, your male children, your male sons, your, you, the male and the children, right? You'll be circumcised, you'll circumcise, you'll be circumcising your male sons. You, okay, that's, I'm repeating myself, your, your sons on the eighth day, right? The eighth day, literally when they're newborn, newborn babies on the eighth day. <clears throat> That's when you'll be circumcising them. Now in this article they were saying for the Midianites, they were probably doing it before the wedding, before the marriage, and then after the guy has healed and he's all good, then they get married to the to the wife like he's a he's a man now he can now get married and so the they were saying they had listed a name for the son i don't know if moses is the sons we had told the names of the sons it starts with a g burning bush let me the birth of moses exodus chapter two and see when he flees to Midian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, verse Exodus chapter 2, verse 21. Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son. He named him Gashom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in the land in the in a foreign land. Did he only one have one son? Now it came about in the course of the many days that the king of Egypt died. <gasps> Let me Google because that will make so much. It will help my case right now. Did Moses? But we're told he, him and his sons, when they're leaving Egypt, they had sons. Did Moses have two sons? Moses had two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. They were not part of the exodus proper while still in egypt moses had sent them off with their mother zipporah to their grandfather jethro in midian uh what am i going to ask did moses have his two sons on their way to egypt Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay, 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 okay. So Exodus chapter 2 verse 22, then she gave birth to a son and named, he named him Gashom. For he said, I have been a sojourner. So where is Eliezer? So Gashom is the firstborn. Because this is the name that this website was mentioning. That Gashom is the one who was circumcised. But then later on, down there, in, like when you scroll down there, they also mentioned the younger son. Saying that, oh, maybe also Zipporah circumcised. Maybe it's the younger son who was circumcised because... Maybe he was born and Moses didn't wait like eight days to suck. Maybe Gashom was already circumcised because they gave like two kind of theories. It was probably Gashom who was not circumcised. Okay, both sons were not circumcised because probably Moses had not practiced his culture and had um, um, assimilated to the Midianite culture. And so probably they were waiting for Gashom, the firstborn son, to be circumcised before his wedding. That's the first thought that they had. That's the first um, um, explanation they had. The second one was, okay, probably both of the sons were not circumcised, Eliezer and Gashom, the firstborn. And so the circumcision that happened was for the... was um, No, 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 no. This is, this is why I'm saying it will... I don't know if I'm confusing anyone. Can I actually... Let me just read the the article. Did I not save it? I saved it here. Let's see. It's going to be... Oh, man. I might not find it. So let me just explain. Because I understood what they were saying. So they were saying, in the first explanation, probably Moses had not circumcised his sons. Right? They were waiting for the time where the boy is ready to be married. And then circumcision happens. And then he becomes a man. Meaning also that a little one, Eliezer, had not yet been circumcised. Or the second explanation was, maybe Moses had kept his culture, the Israel culture of circumcision, and had circumcised the firstborn Gashon, but had not circumcised Eliezer the secondborn. And they mentioned probably Eliezer was young enough, was was like had been born, and and um, and um, when God sent Moses to Egypt, Eliezer, like a small child, was like the eighth day had not yet figured, like had not arrived, <laughs> like he was not, he had not reached like. Uh, Eight, eight days yet it was not like an eight day newborn yet so probably that's why he was not circumcised and that's the son Zipporah circumcised so the question is did Zipporah circumcise the firstborn Gashon my question this is my question did Zipporah circumcise the firstborn Gashon or did she circumcise Eliezer now I think in both cases I can work with either right but if it's the first one, it's really helpful in my case. It's, it's really helpful because God has been speaking about Israel is my firstborn. Let me go back to 
Exodus chapter 4, Israel is my firstborn. And Pharaoh, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And then now we, we are starting to see Moses' firstborn. I, I think I'll stick to the first for the first one, Gashon. I think that the son was circumcised. Right? <clears throat> Let me scroll down. Because God has been speaking about Israel being his firstborn, speaking to Pharaoh about Pharaoh's firstborn, and then now we see Moses' firstborn. And it's a, again, we're talking about freeing from enslavement, freeing from death to life, from slavery to freedom. Death is, the flesh is enslaved to death, like it. The wages is death. You see, like from the very beginning, when you eat of the fruit, you will die. Meaning now your flesh is enslaved to death. It will succumb to death. More mortality. What did I read about mortality? That was a good nini. The way they talked about mortal. Subject to death. When you're subject to death, a subject is like a slave, right? Subject. Mm, subject meaning. I hope you give me the. Uh huh. A branch. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Dependent or conditional upon. Um, subject, the word subject in connection to this, the word subject in connection to slave, <coughs> slave subject to citizens. What does it mean to be subject to slavery? What is the difference between a subject and a slave? Okay, let's see. <coughs> The subject slash slave contrast, however, was more difficult because both were, in a sense, subjects under someone's power. Whereas slaves, as defined by the subjection to their masters, whereas slaves are defined by their subjection to their masters. So they were all under someone's power. So when I say, when I read mortal, a mortal is subject to death. The flesh is subject to death. The flesh is subject to death, is enslaved by death. The wages of sin is death. So when God talks about saving his firstborn son from death, from slavery, from being subject to Egypt, to the gods of Egypt, which leads to death because the wages of sin is death, like they were dying. Literally, there was no life. There was no freedom. God wanted, God wanted to give them freedom. Freedom. And the only way you can get freedom in this world is in God. In God, through God, by God. Right? Life is freedom. When you have life, you're free. And it's not the life of the... like. Uh, the flesh lives on. No, no, no. It's a spiritual life, eternal life. 
So. I think I'll focus on Moses' son. The firstborn is the one who was circumcised. Maybe Moses had not circumcised all. And I also asked myself a question. Okay, let me finish my point. Maybe Moses had not circumcised all his sons. Right? Because let me scroll up here. See, it was Moses. I, I highlighted Moses, his sons, and his wife. Right? <coughs> let's see. Let's see. Then departed. Uh-huh. Verse 20, Exodus chapter 4, verse 20. So Moses took his wife and his sons. Yeah. So both of them. So Eliezer had been born. The last one. By last one, I mean he had two sons right now. So the younger one. The reason why I was saying, like, maybe even if, even if it was Eliezer being the one who circumcised, it will still make sense for my narrative, is because I'm. I I had notes con I um in my notes I am asking myself some several uh, it's like I'm seeing the words that I want to say in my brain and my brain is my mouth is so slow in reading my own words in my brain <laughs> I'm having such a tough time explaining myself okay in my notes I have I have studied Jacob and I have some questions that I've written down. Because I'm, I think, I think, I think I'm seeing a link between Moses and Jacob here. And so why I think Eliezer, the younger son, if, if, if actually the text is referring to him being circumcised, it kind of also links to like the, sec the second one being the first one. You see the narrative of when... It's a pattern, by the way, the where the second born becomes the first born, like the birthright, where we see, like, for example, the first born is the one who's supposed to, like, inherit something, but then God chooses the second one. It doesn't necessarily, necessarily have to be, like, the like immediately the first born and then, like, like uh, not immediately. Like exactly the firstborn and exactly the, the lastborn. Like for example, in David's case, David the king, the shepherd, the king, he was the younger one, right? And the elders, the eld his eldest brothers, his older brothers, were the ones who were supposed to be, to, to like uh, have the first peak. Like they were supposed to be at least to um, experience their like inheritance, the kingship. But God chooses the second one in brackets, right? Like we see Cain and Abel. It's like a thread. I think I studied this in... Um, it's not detour. It's not main character. I talked about the firstborn. <clears throat> I've, I've forgotten. But there's this thread. That's why I was saying, okay, Jacob is born. Jacob and Esau are twins. But Jacob is the one who's supposed to be... To, Esau was, is the one who was supposed to... Um, was the first born. He was literally the first born, right? He was born first. But then we see Jacob taking his birthright. 
So like the younger son, so that thread, I, I, I didn't think through it immediately, like deeply when it comes to the Eliezer, the Moses' younger son and the connection with Jacob and the firstborn and, sec- and the lastborn thread. But I think that's what I'm saying. If it's Eliezer being circumcised, there's also a thread I'm seeing there. But I'll stick. T- I think it's. I think it will be Gashon. Am I saying that right? Gashon? Gashon? Or is it Gashom? Let me scroll down. Oh, it's an M. Gashom. I'm saying Gashon with an N. Gashom. 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 So I'm sticking to Gashom because of the thre- of the pattern where is it really a pattern? Like God is talking about the firstborn, the firstborn. His firstborn is Israel, Pharaoh's firstborn son, and now Moses' firstborn son. It's I think so. So let me continue reading. So. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. This is Exodus chapter 4, verse 23. So I said to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Okay, there's something else I'm seeing. You see that exact thing God is telling Pharaoh? I will kill your son, your firstborn. And then... Literally the next verse, we see God trying to kill someone. Literally trying to kill. We are literally told that he sought to put him to death. The, the very Mwanzo Mwanzo, the first time I wrote down, um, I think it was October, when I wrote down Bridegroom of Blood and I, and I read this verse, these verses, I was like, huh. So God's firstborn is Israel and Pharaoh is um, like a Gentile, a non-Israelite, right? Um, meaning the customs that he, that him and um, the Egyptians are participating in are not, are not what God requires and what God instructs. They are not in any way the same as Israel's customs, which God gave Abraham, and which God and which God requires of the Israelites in the wilderness. He will later require of the of the he will he will later require those same nini instructions to be performed by the Israelites to be followed. But meaning they are different. They are not of God. Egypt's customs. The reason why I'm bringing up the custom is okay. Moses marries into the media, the uh, married into like the median, a median family, a Midianite family. I don't know how to say that. Uh, let's see. Median. Oh, median is the country, and then Midianites are the people. So. He marries into a Midianite family. Cinder. Okay. Meaning these customs are not of God. They're not the right customs. When I say that, I mean they're not like what God instructs. 
So if God is going to kill Pharaoh's son, one, because Pharaoh has refused to let God's son go, three, but also because they are under the gods of Egypt, meaning the practice, the practices they are practicing, they're not of God. Now, Moses, who has married into a Midian, Midianite family and has probably been performing these Midianite customs, is that, these are my questions. Again, I said today's episode, today's study will be me just asking, sharing my, the thoughts and the questions in my brain. So are, is Moses' son, is God trying to also kill Moses' son? Because I'm back to the question of who is the him here? Is the him Moses? Is God, when when the Lord met him and sought to put him to death, who is the him? Is the him Moses' son? Or is the him um, Moses himself? When I went to Bible Hub, Exodus chapter 4, verse, let me go back. Verse 24, this is the Hebrew. Now at a lodging place, along the way, the Lord confronted Moses. So the hymn, the first hymn is Moses. God confronted Moses and was about to kill him. So it's not, it's not the son, it's Moses. And then the next verse, and let me press Hebrew. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off, because um, the word is, uh, let me go back to the Bible, verse 25. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he, so, so he let him alone. So he let him alone, meaning God, the he is capitalized. So God left Moses, right? He let him alone. At that time, she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to see the hymns here. It's okay. I touched with Moses. You are a bridegroom of blood to me. She said, let me go to verse 26, Hebrew. Exodus chapter 4, verse 26, Hebrew. So the Lord let him alone. Let me go to. So he let him alone. That is Exodus. Lazy, lazy, lazy. He will not fail. Let, let me alone. I'm looking at these other places where this word has been used. Okay. Uh, so the Lord let him alone when she said, bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. And the word there for bridegroom that has been used is hatan, a relative by marriage or a circumcised child. That's why there are these two, um, uh, what, do you, what are they called? areas of thought that these two like ways of reading this because if the word bridegroom is referring to relative by marriage okay Zipporah is talking about Moses but 
if it's talking about a circumcised child, that means, let me even press the word itself. Hatan. 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 It has been used in places like a son-in-law. A son-in-law. I'm seeing um, Genesis 19. Judges. Son-in-law. First Samuel. Son-in-law. Um, in Second Kings. Son-in-law. You see it's like. A circumcised child. A circumcised child. So who is Zipporah talking to? Verse 24. Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. The Lord met him. And sought to put him to death. So the Lord met Moses and sought to put him to death. Because again, following the first um, first time I read this, and I thought, oh, maybe God is trying to put Moses' son to death because he's a Midianite and he's not circumcised. That's what I thought. But I think the hymn, after seeing the Hebrew, is in verse twenty-four. Is uh, he met Moses and sought to put him to death? So the hymn is Moses. So God wanted to kill Moses. Why? <laughs> why? And why did he not kill him? We see why. Verse 25. Then Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin. Now the son I'm thinking about here is Gashom. Right? The firstborn son. Which I think makes sense considering that God has been speaking about the firstborn. So the firstborn son foreskin, the firstborn is circumcised, and Zipporah threw the foreskin at Moses' feet. And she said, You are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. To me, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. I think the bridegroom here, the word is, has been translated correctly instead of kinsman. Where, where did I see like it meant kinsman? Oh, it was that same. Um, it was that same article that I'm going to find. Go to saved. That same article. Is it that I don't know how to use Chrome? Because I saved them to bookmarks. Ah, okay, I'll find it. I'll find it later. But I am sure I got that. Can I? Let me just Google. Let me see. Um, bridegroom Hebrew. 
Kingsman. <laughs> Let's see if Google will make sense of that. What are the Hebrew words for bridegroom? Mm-hmm. What does the Kingsman mean in the Bible? Male relative who, according to various laws found in the Pentateuch, had the privilege or responsibility to act for a relative who was in trouble, danger, or... Oh, like Ruth. You're a Kingsman. You're my guardian Kingsman. You're a Kings... What did Ruth tell Boaz? Full meaning of Kingsman. An adherent of the king, an adherent of the king, a supporter. Oh, jeez, no. Hmm. Is this connected to Ruth? Cause, okay. Cause I was focusing also another question I had. I okay, this studies all over the place, but I hope I'm making sense, trying to explain my thought process. So when let me go back to the verse so that I, I explain my, my thoughts, right? Zipporah took a flint and cut off Moses is being hunted down by God. I don't know if God because in the in the article they said like it, pro, God probably um um attacked Moses by making him ill or sick. So like Moses was like really, really, really sick, you know? And so Moses was like not Moses, Zipporah, according to the article, they were like, oh, Zipporah probably knew what, what to do because clearly we see her just act, right? She She's not asking, like, what do I do? She's just acting. So according to the article, she probably associated Moses' Moses's illness with her son not being circumcised somehow, according to the article. And so that's why she immediately circumcised her son, right? And then... We are told then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. This is why I'm talking about, I'm seeing the kingsmen and the bridegroom pointing and I've remembered Ruth and Boaz. And then this has come to mind, threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. I had not, I don't know why I had not seen this. Z Ruth asked Boaz was it Ruth chapter 3 I'm trying to scroll and see and talk at the same time Ruth asks Boaz to wait wait no 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 this about, there's something about feet like cover me okay Ruth chapter 3 right the Naomi Ruth's mother-in-law said to her my daughter shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maid you were. Jeez, this is such hard English. Let me go back to NIV. My daughter, I must find a home for you where, where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative for ours. Okay, I love the word that they've used, kingsman. Let me go back to NASB. I'll understand the complicated English because I want this kingsman language. Now is Boaz our kingsman? Now is not Boaz our kingsman with who with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley 
at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. So this feet thing, because in that article they were talking about how there's a connection between, in Hebrew, there's a, there's a thread connecting feet with the private parts, like the genitals. I'm not saying this was happening with Ruth and, Ruth and Boaz, but like the symbolism connected to feet and like um, the genitals. So connecting that to Moses and the sun being the son's genitals being circumcised, being cut off, the foreskin being circumcised. And Zipporah taking the foreskin, touching it on Moses' feet, and then saying, you are now indeed my bridegroom? Why does the bridegroom thing apply here? You see, like, Zipporah is the bride. Moses is the bridegroom. They're already married, but like that entire thing, that's 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 where my brain is at. I'm trying to make these things. Because right now I've remembered Ruth. And now Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, is telling Zipporah, it shall be when he lies down, verse 4, that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. I'm not saying Zipporah like, um, uncovered Boaz's body. No. That's what I'm not not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying symbolically Ruth is telling Boaz put a ring on my finger. Because they were they didn't have those rings. But I'm just saying she's telling Boaz, Yep, yeah, I'm ready to be yours. You words. That's what I think because <laughs> one, I think there's a there's a reason why the Ruth has come to mind. One, I saw Kingsman and I remembered, oh Boaz. But then let me see what she tells Boaz. Um, verse five, she said to her, All that you say I will do. Okay. Verse six. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother in law, Naomi, had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and laid down. I think I should look at Ruth chapter three, verse seven in the bible hub and see the hebrew for uncovering feet and the word the fact that i've been studying about uncovering being naked uncovering and covering being connected to nakedness so i think there's something there's a thread there connecting that to like intimacy so she uncovered his feet and laid down verse 8 it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. She said, who are you? He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. This is a part. So spread your covering over your maid. For you are my guardian redeemer, not a close relative. You are my guardian redeemer. Let me see ESV. 
because a guardian thing is the kingsman language for you are a redeemer mm -hmm. esv says spread your wings <laughs> oh. again i had been studying this in the honeymoon phase in the um when i was talking about the garments in the um honeymoon phase and the new dawn so much in god's word man like there's so much these threads are everywhere but anyway spread your wings <clears throat> spread your uh, cover me spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer there's a footnote there footnote says he said who are you and she answered i am ruth your servant Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 8, Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 10. Mm -hmm. Spread your wings. Compare verse 2, 12. The word for wings can also mean corners of a garment. Spread the corner of your garment over your servant for you are a redeemer. Spread your wings over your garment for you are a redeemer. And the connection with wings and a redeemer, a guardian redeemer. I'm linking this also to Ezekiel 28. Let me see King James. King James says, I am Ruth thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid. For thou art a near kingsman. Okay. So this is why I came here. For the kingsman and also for the feet. <laughs> The uncovering of the feet, Ruth chapter 3 verse 7. Let me go to Bible Hub and confirm and see if it's connected to anything intimate. Ruth chapter 3 verse 7 or verse 4. Verse 7. Okay, Hebrew. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then Ruth went in secretly and covered his feet and lay down. The feet, margalota, so the word, a foot piece at the foot, at foot, okay. His feet, his feet, his feet, his feet, his feet. Okay, so the word is just for feet. Why did I... Where did these guys get the feet? Let me Google. Is there a, con a connection? A link. Connection in Hebrew. Linking feet to... To what? Intimacy. It's, it's about genitalia. How does the act of foot washing lead to the act of sexual intercourse? <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm so sure there's something to, to be learned here. But is this a tangent I want to take? I think it's it is because Moses, the foreskin of his son, the son's genitals. The son, the fa his firstborn son, uh, in from now on, I'll I'll, I'll say I'll, I'll lean towards Gershom is the one who was circumcised, the firstborn son. 
his firstborn son was circumcised to save his life. And how was his life? Because God was trying to kill Moses, remember? So Moses' life was saved when his wife, his bride, circumcised their son and took the foreskin, the blood, and touched Moses' feet with it. That's why even Zipporah talks about a bridegroom. You're now, you have now become a bridegroom of blood to me. You see the connection with feet and sexual intercourse in the bridegroom language. So this is Bible hermeneutics. So let me read this. How does the act of foot washing? And this is also, again, I'm laughing because it's pointing me also back to, you remember when, when this lady, was it Mary Magdalene or Mary somebody, the lady who washed Jesus's feet and everybody was like, what? This woman is like, uh, it's what her lot, like she's like, uh, prostitute or something and just touching your feet do you jesus don't you know what this means okay um accept cookies fine i hate accepting the cookies okay how does the act of foot washing litter let me sit up lead to the act of sexual intercourse in second samuel chapter 11 after king david had slept with uriah's wife bathsheba Okay, there's something here. We read, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. David's response to the news from Bathsheba is picked up in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 6, where it is written, So David sent his word, this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him and is a connection to Nini. <gasps> okay. Huh. Okay, so David sent his word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, you know, where Bathsheba is, go down to your house and wash your feet. Dang. Oh man, how is this now connected to Jesus washing his disciples' feet? And because it, it is, because the disciples are the bride of Christ. We are the disciples. The church is his bride. Jesus washes his bride's feet. This is what I'm saying. These things are so deep, man. Damn. You know, that's something I saw with Moses. You see, when I in the last episode, when I talked about how I'm seeing Moses, the connection between the old the Song of Solomon, where the bride is saying, is asking the bridegroom, um, "Show me your form." The bride is in the cleft of the rock, and she's asking for the bridegroom to show him to show her his form. And I was like, this is literally pulling from Moses talking to God and saying show me your glory and then God puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and God tells Moses nobody can see my my nobody can see me and live so you'll see my back and then God walks past Moses and Moses sees God's back God's form and 
uh, in the last episode, I talked about how in that narrative, the connection between Song of Solomon, the bride speaking, and Moses speaking, is like Moses is a representative of Israel. Right? In this narrative, Israel is referred to as the, the firstborn son. But also, also, the reason why I think Israel is connected to Zipporah, the bride also, is the way Moses is um, Israel, the Israel nation is also seen as God's wife because God calls to God. God calls Jerusalem, Israel, God calls them an adulterous wife. They are not faithful because he's the husband and they are not faithful. So you see how Israel is both God's firstborn son when it comes to being the child and when it comes to not even the child, when it comes to being the heir because the son is the heir of the father's inheritance. The firstborn is the the heir, right? So that's why how that's why the Israelite the Israelite nation, God calls the Israelite nation his firstborn son. Meaning he he is the one who's supposed to, to inherit everything. Right? So that's the connection. It's not just like God hates other human beings who are not like the Gentiles. No. Through them they were supposed to inherit God's power so that through them, as the priests, though who have inherited, again, even in um, Numbers, Numbers chapter 18, the duties of the priests, we see that the priests are supposed to inherit everything that is of God. So Israel, the firstborn, that was supposed to be uh, the royal priests who inherits everything that is of God so that they can go into the world to bring the nations to God, right? So when God calls Israel now his bride, is God seeing, God wanting to join with his, with his, with his, um, not his creation, but his, those who are made in his image. God, God sends his son. You see now the connection with uh, Moses and the connection with Moses' son, Gashom, who is circumcised with Jesus. God, through the spilling of his son's blood, his bride is saved. This is what I'm seeing. There are so many links here. I'm only left with, with, um, I need to like sit, down and actually take time to think through this there are links i'm sure there are links let me continue reading this feat so david tells uriah's husband no uriah um Bathsheba's husband to go and wash his feet meaning like go and lay with your wife right so uriah did not do as david requested because in verse 9 says but Uriah slept at the entrance of the pla- of the palace where his where all his master's servants uh, with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house after david had asked uriah why why he did not go home uriah answered how could i go to my house to eat and drink you see how the eating and drinking and and um rejoicing with your wife even in ecclesiastes that what I talked about in the last episode is connected to also with Song of Solomon, 
where, where the choir, the people are saying, go eat and drink with your bride, your beloved one. So Uriah is saying, how could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? My question is based on the fact that David did not tell Uriah to have sex with Bathsheba. He told Uriah to go home and wash his feet. So why does Uriah conclude with the words, how could I go to my house and lie with my wife? So that's a question. So I think these are some answers. Uncovering and worship, washing of the feet was a common an idiom, uh, an idiom, an A-N-E idiom for exposing the genitalia. This is why Ruth, interesting, this is why Ruth chapter 3 is so controversial in academic circles. Oh, do tell. I don't have my specific sources on, on hand right now, which is why this is not an answer but a comment. Okay, so that's what that person says. Another person replies to this guy and says, To me, Uriah seems to be just speaking of any sex with a wife as a regular daily event. No. No. I have read Ruth chapter 3. Very interesting. I hope you will leave an answer when you are organized. Hmm. So people are connecting this with truth. Okay. Uh, the question is a good one and worth discussing. My own sense is that it, it includes a misstep, however, which casts a different light on things. My short answer to the question posed, how does foot washing lead to the, uh, lead to the act of sexual... No, that's not the question. It's not how it leads to, it's how it's connected to. Because this guy is saying it doesn't. First, no. Okay, I'll let me share this with myself so that I can have this link so that I post it in the show notes for anyone interested. So foot washing is, this is my, my stance, foot washing is connected to to the um, initraje, to the genitalia and, and intimacy, sexual intimacy because with Christ oh, let me google Jesus' feet because they were oiled. Did she wash his feet or did she oil his feet? Again, she touched his feet, right? Um, Jesus's feet anointed. What is the significance of anointing Jesus's feet? Mm, no. Okay, um, the anointing, the anointing of Jesus's, because even the, the guy's reactions around Jesus was something else, Jesus's feet and its symbolism, the anointing of Jesus's feet and its symbolism, symbolism, with symbolism with intimacy Simon and the woman who anointed Jesus' feet okay I'm back I had taken a pause I had taken a break so I was talking about the feet and uncovering of the feet and um, Ruth 
uncovering Boaz's feet and Moses's feet being touched by his wife uh no actually Moses's feet being touched by the foreskin of his son by his wife Moses's wife touching his feet with his son's foreskin and also it, it got me thinking about the times where Jesus talks about the washing of feet oh I read also um David I read David and Uriah, Bathsheba's wife. David tell, telling Uriah to go and go home and wash his feet, right? And then Uriah replying later on, like after David says, "Did you not go home?" And then David says, like Uriah says, "How can I go home, eat and drink, and have sex with my wife when I know my men are out there, right, um, dying and fighting?" So there's that link there. And I think that question that guy asked was. As much as it's thought provoking, I think it makes sense. It's it's on the right. It's a pattern. Because with Jesus, I remember Jesus washing his disciples feet and then telling his disciples to wash each other's feet as he has washed the feet and there's something i've seen just now while i was scrolling to see what other people are saying about these feet i've written there's a connection between washing of the feet or uncovering of the feet with submission because with the feet and the genitalia and the intimacy thing having a, a link i think the point is we're seeing these happening between a man and a woman between a bride and his bridegroom Jesus and his bride, Jesus and the church, the submission. Because even Jesus says, the one who is greater is the one who serves, is the one who submits. Jesus is the bridegroom. He's speaking to his bride, the church, the disciples, his disciples. And he's saying, I am the master and I am submitting and washing your feet. You also must do the same. And then Jesus says, you will understand what this means later. Right? And I think that's pointing to Jesus, to like Ephesians chapter 5. Those, this revelation where, where Paul is saying, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ is the bride groom bridegroom i was thinking i paused because i thought popped in my head and i was like bride so christ is the bridegroom who laid down his life if that is not submission for his bride he laid down his life for his bride because even paul starts submit to one another and i've come across like preachers and teachers trying to denounce that that just one sentence not even denounce like trying to to like say like oh that ignore that part you know where paul says submit to one another yeah ignore that part it's only the wives who are supposed to submit and i'm like guys the pride i think that is pride showing the fact that the thought of a man submitting to a woman is that irritating to somebody is prideful christ you're supposed to follow christ and paul says submit to one another right 
and then he gives an example how is a wife supposed to submit to the to the to the let me actually read that because it makes sense with the bridegroom of blood you know ephesians it i feel really disappointed when some people who i actually listen to make those um what are they called mm. guys let me read ephesians chapter 5 but let me make a what 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 people say it's like ps let me make a note right the submitting to one another uh, uh, but wives submit just because the word submit you know just because the word submit is consider the word is be subject in nasb has been used be subject wait subject see i was googling the word subject and slave senior yeah cuz i i started by thinking about okay mortal is subject to death you're a slave to death you see how deep this word submit and subject is connected to to um to is what servitude what is the word servitude so i think servitude the state of being a slave or completely subject to someone more powerful it's somehow leaning leaning to servitude let me actually see um ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 in bible hub ephesians because we're told to be we are we're no longer in any slaves um the slaves of sin but god's slaves we are servant like <laughs> oh gosh that's why i don't like it when people try to undermine and downplay I think that's the word like they try to downplay that both of us both male and female if if god himself came to die for us to lay down his life for us and he washes his bride's feet christ washes the feet of his bride and now a a person who thinks he has power in this world or in an institution can claim like yeah 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 you know it's only the wife these are some games that we should be very careful to not play i really want to that's i i'm passionate about such things because if we don't truly understand if we don't allow the holy spirit to teach us what he, the heart of god the heart of god will just have this low level and shallow understanding and will include the same way the pharisees did the mistake they did they started adding their own human understanding to god's word that's what we have been doing and we like um what do you call like we dilute god's word i don't dilute i don't understand even though i'm not perfect when it comes to obedience i i want to i want to know what is expected of me as the bride of Christ and as if God blesses me with and even as a human being let me just not even go to like when when I'm a bride of a human man like a man 
But even as a human being, how I'm supposed to serve my neighbor? Hmm. Love? For God so loved the world. Love is sacrifice. So when God tells me to love my neighbor as I love myself. Hmm. It's intense. So um, in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22, Bible hub. So the Greek, is this not Greek? Wives to their own husbands as to the Lord. Okay. Wives to their own husbands as to the Lord. Literally that's what he says. For the husband is head of the wife. Oh, where is the word submit or subject? Wives to their own husbands as to the Lord. Literally, that's the direct translation of the Greek. Wives to their own husbands. Because I think it makes sense. Because the verse, let me actually read from uh, verse 21. Ephesians 5.21 And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives to their own husbands as to the Lord. So because the direct translation of literally what the what Paul writes is from verse 22. Wives to their own husbands as to the Lord. The word subject is not there. But I think the reason why they've added subject is because in verse 21 talks about and be subject to one another. So wives as to their own husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being there. So even the people who stick to the word subject in verse 22, the word is not even there. It's implied from verse 21. And guess who is referred to in verse 21? Both the wife and the husband. So even when I get to read verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. It's also pointing back to be subject to one another. Oh, gosh. Because how can a wife submit to somebody who is not? Who, because who, even, oh, wow. I think it's Corinthians chapter 13 or something, where we're told the head of Christ is God. The head of the husband is Christ. And the head of the wife is the husband. So, the husband is the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the husband. And God, the father, is the head of Christ. So who is subject to who? So if wife sub is, sub is, is subject to the husband, the husband is also subject to Christ. So there's no point where the man should not be submissive to Christ. Like my point is, I think it's I think it's like an it's a cultural thing where these people teach these things because there are other cultures who don't have an issue when it comes to not the word submission because not every culture has the word submit. Um, they, we have they have, we we all have our own ways of understanding that exact action, 
or way of living, right? Um, way of doing things, the submitting thing. But for the people who are loud in the church, like online, right? In the church, online church. They're the ones who sometimes get to make some rules, make up some rules that people eventually continue um, spreading those same rules. And it's not exactly what the Bible says. So I we need to be careful and study for our own selves. Because now I did not even know that the word subject was implied in verse 21. And by implied, I don't mean like it's not what Paul meant. No, I mean like it's meant to be there. Even in verse 22, of course I'll be reading wives be subject to your own husband because that's exactly what Paul meant. It's exactly what Paul meant. Because let me read the entire thing. Ephesians 5 verse 21 and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the saviour of the body but as the church is subject to christ so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything husbands love your wives just as christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her by cleanse having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their wives, love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined with his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is great but i am speaking of speaking with reference to christ and the church nevertheless each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband so i think the reason why i came here to ephesians is pointing to christ and his bride when it comes to the washing of feet jesus um saying that he is the master so you guys should do as a followers you should follow what i am doing do as i do right um jesus washing his disciples feet john chapter 13 verse 1 to 7 john chapter 13 Verse 1 to 7. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, you see he loved them. I'm just from talking about how husbands are supposed to love their bride, right? Jesus loved his bride to the end, to death. So during supper, the devil having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he guarded himself. 
Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which he had he was guarded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What what I do what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet, Jesus answered him. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Meaning you're not my bride if, you, if I don't wash your feet. If me as the bridegroom does not wash your feet, you have no part with me. That's my understanding, right? Because it's so clear. Okay, verse 9. Jesus says, Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs not only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, because of the table is in italics, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is the scripture, but it is, but is, mm -mm. but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Oh, this is pointing back to the snake and the serpent, the heel. Yo, okay. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send, receives me. It's like Moses being sent by God. So if they received Moses, it's like they received God. Okay, and he who receives me, receives him who sent me. So I wanted to read that with a feet. And with also the Jesus' feet being anointed, that lady, whoever she is, I don't know if she's called Martha or someone, but it's her submitting to Christ. And Christ talks about how, because this the guy, the Pharisee who who Jesus had um, who had invited Jesus into his house, he was like Jesus, if if you are a prophet, I don't know if he thought about it or he said it out loud, but I think he thought about it. If Jesus was a true prophet. He would actually know who this woman is and what she wants. Like whatever, like who this woman is, like she's a sinner. And then Jesus said to him, like literally having read his mind, he, he said, I'm paraphrasing. He said, uh, uh, oh, he gave like a parable. Like if one person owes somebody 
10 times than another person. I'm paraphrasing my own things, but meaning there's somebody who owes more than another. Comparing the two, one owes me more than the other. So who do you think when the debt is paid or, or when the debt is cancelled, when I say, oh, don't even pay me, you know, I know you owe me like 10 times more, don't pay me. And the other one who's like a small amount, also you don't pay me. Who do you think like when the debt is forgiven is will be more um, appreciative and more rejoice, um, will rejoice more and be grateful, you know. And Simon and I think the other guys were like, of course, it's the one who has been forgiven more. And then Jesus says, that's the same case here. I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly. But Jesus says, like, this woman who you think is the dirtiest, the dirtiest, or the sinners of all sinners, and you think you're better because you're a Pharisee or whatever, she has been forgiven more. That's why she is this submissive. That's my understanding. The woman was submitting to Christ with a washing and anointing of his feet with oil. That was her way of being submissive. And Kwanza wiping his feet with hair. And I had heard in um, the Naked Bible podcast by uh, the late uh, Michael Hazer. He was talking about uh, the covering, the head covering. I think that's the topic he was studying, the head covering topic in Corinthians, I think. And he also mentioned about the hair. He was saying in, I think, I don't know if it's Greek culture at the time that they thought that the hair, it's like the feet. You see how like with the, the Hebrew guys, like the feet was seen as like symbolic of like genitalia. I think with the Greek, I might Google this. I think with the Greek, the hair was symbolic of like genitalia, mostly like the female hair. I don't know. But I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not exactly sure, but I do know that that's what they said. <laughs> Let me pause for a minute and close the curtains. Okay, I'm back. Let me Google and see if I remember correctly. Um, what will I Google? Does the hair in Greek culture symbolize <coughs> genitalia? Uh, genitalia depilation and power in classical Greece. What was the significance of hair in ancient Greece? Uh, wealth, social rank, divinity. Why does Greek statues not have no? Ancient Greek regarding hair. Oh, Corinthians. This is a discourse dot biologos. Let's see. Ancient science regarding hair in First Corinthians chapter eleven. Huh. I skimmed through the 25 pages, I don't think. Huh, the author, let's see. Am I going to read all this? I think I'll just, I'm just going to link this. 
I'll link this article, this site. Let me share with myself the link so that I also add it to the show notes. So it's generally there was there was that understanding kinda like maybe the hair, the covering of the hair, you see like the uncovering of the feet, maybe like the covering of the hair signified in the Greek culture, uh, ancient Greek, like it's to cover your nakedness, kind of. So there's a link there. That's what I'm saying, like with with the, I'm just sharing what's happening in my brain, right? These connections that are happening and the questions that are, um, that are popping in my head and have popped in my head. So like with a woman anointing Jesus' feet and also wiping his feet with her hair, all that, I think all that is, I, I should think about all that because when it comes, she is, and Jesus forgives, how that nini ends, Jesus looks at her and tells her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Right? Um... My question is, does that mean she became a disciple of Christ? But like, the point is, if she's that humble enough and she has surrendered to God, meaning she sees Christ as the Messiah, who who literally she can submit herself to, I think, I think she ends up being a disciple of Christ. And my point is, you see, for God so loved the world. Because my, let me actually, because I know what's happening in my head. Let me explain myself. The reason why I'm even quoting John, John chapter 3 verse 16. My question is, by Jesus saying your sins are forgiven, does it mean that she now, she, she came in as the bride washing the bridegroom's feet? Or she now became the bride, meaning by the bride, I mean, part of the body of Christ, part of the church. Was she believing? Was she, or did she believe in Christ even? I think she did. That's my point. I think she came in knowing who Christ was and believing. Again, Jesus said, the work of God is to believe in whom he has sent. When you believe in me, you receive eternal life. So from her actions, we can see that she believed in who Christ said he was the same way the, the Samaritan woman believed afterwards, this woman came in already believing. We don't know her journey, how she came to know Christ and whatever, but the fact that now she comes to Christ and anoints his feet, right? She believes in who he says he is. And it's like, because I constantly hear this verse being talked about with like Christ's body being anointed it's like and and it's being linked to like when Christ's body was when 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 the body of Christ was in the tomb it was also anointed and by who by his bride the disciples although it was the women but I think also Joseph or Matthew or someone my point is there is a connection between the bride and the bridegroom and the anointing of with the anointing of Christ's body 
because this is one of those points where people quote that Christ's body was anointed, the anointing of his feet by this woman. And I was wanted to quote John 3.16 because my question was like, okay, if she believed him afterwards, does it mean that she was anointing him as a sinner, anointing Christ's feet, and then she became the bride, or she was the bride, and then Christ forgi- by for- Christ forgiving her, does it mean now, now she becomes part of the bride? Either way, whether she came in believing that Christ is who he says he is, or the moment that Christ forgives her of her sins, that's the moment she becomes the bride, part of the bride, the body of Christ. Either way, we see we see God died for us. Christ died for us even while we were yet sinners. He was coming for his bride while his bride was yet while the, the members of his body, his bride, were yet sinners. That's my point. So whether she I was asking myself, like, okay, the entire things, the my entire argument still remains that it's the bride washing the bridegroom's feet. There's something with the bride and the bridegroom and the feet, from Ruth to Boaz to Moses and Zipporah, because this is where I started this entire thing and I'm still going to go back to, and also with the, this, uh, the lady... Because I think she's, people say Martha. Because in my head I'm thinking Martha. But I don't know if she's mentioned as Martha. The woman who <clears throat> anointed. I think I've also come to understand why my voice is this low. She's so sweet. Is <clears throat> because last year I was in, I was living alone. <laughs> so I was so, like I could speak in whichever room I was, as loud as I wanted, and I would not disrupt dis, any dis, disrupt any anyone. So right now I think I've gotten so used to like whispering, like speaking like I'm whispering, that every time I press record, <laughs> like that's where my voice like. Okay, so I've googled Mary of Bethany. John, however, clearly identifies Mary of Bethany with the woman who anointed Christ's feet in Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14. It is remarkable that already in John chapter 11 verse 2, John has spoken of Mary as she that anointed the Lord's feet. Okay, so it was Mary of Bethany. Okay, I was talking about the feet. King Julian. Do not touch the king's feet. Mm, okay. Yeah. So Jesus with the washing of the feet. What I'm seeing in John chapter 13, Jesus also um commanding his to his disciples to watch to wash one another's feet the same way him the, the same way he as the master has washed his servants' feet. He's also pointing to the bridegroom and the bride. You see the same way the bridegroom is washing the bride's feet and we also see the bride washing the bridegroom's feet. That's why in Ephesians, Paul can say, submit to one another. My conclusion with the feet thing, yes, there is this intimacy thing going on when it comes to the symbolism. It's connecting with the bride and the bridegroom. And I want to say, but 
and also it's pointing to generally like but not generally like the big picture i think it's submission being subject to one another right okay okay I'm trying to think i think now i should go back to exodus chapter 4 verse 26 <clears throat> do i even have time to con- to even touch on jacob um <clears throat> exodus exodus chapter 4 verse 26 i i don't even mind me concluding any point now with this study because the entire thing is me trying to um think out loud these questions i either wrote down or these questions i have in my head the questions that are popping up so that i can actually think through this pattern or this thread of the bridegroom of blood you know so i do think it's the bridegroom of blood and not like the king's man but even if it was like king's man it's still pointing to like someone who comes to redeem a relative who comes to redeem Jesus he came to redeem right so all in all it's pointing to like redemption and so let me read again after talking about all those things I've talked about Exodus chapter 4 verse 21 the Lord said to Moses when you go back to Egypt see that you perform <coughs> before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Um, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now, it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Lord met Moses and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin. I'm going to add her firstborn son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. The he here is God. So God, who, was, who sought to kill Moses, left him alone, right? He let him alone. At that time, at that time, Zipporah said, You are a bridegroom of blood. Dash, the author continues, because of the circumcision. Let me see if I have some notes before I start explaining what's happening in my brain. Okay. 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 <clears throat> so, Moses' life is in danger. God wants to kill Moses, seeks to kill Moses. Zipporah, Moses' bride, to save Moses' life, she circumcises her firstborn son. 
and touches Moses' feet with the foreskin, the bloody, because the thing is the blood, it's not the foreskin, with the foreskin, the bloody foreskin. Oh, something has popped in my head. I think I had had like years ago. <laughs> I think this was years ago. If it's not in one of Bible Project's podcast episodes, I don't know. But I think I, I, I thought, I think I remember the foreskin thing symbolizing like the outer. Cutting off the outer. Cutting off being separate from, oh man. I don't want to butcher this if I'm wrong. But in my head, what's coming to my head is like the Gentiles, the Israelites and the Gentiles, they were supposed to set themselves apart from the outer. The what do I what's another word for the outer in my head? Like for the for the Gentiles. Gentiles for the um outsiders for the foreigner okay okay i think there's a link there's a link here with setting yourself apart from the foreigner from like the outer because the foreskin you know but why does zipporah touch moses's feet with the outer okay this might be just me this might be just me but this is popping in my head right now Linking Moses and Zipporah as bride and groom, connecting them with a feet symbolism of intimacy, right, and submission. And now Zipporah, and, and also thinking about, I'm going to Google after this thought, before I forget this thought, if the outer foreskin thing is somehow connected to the foreigner and the outsider, and like setting yourself apart from that which is unclean, quote unquote unclean. Okay, 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 okay. Because even God later comes and says, do not call unclean what I have made clean. And then Paul says, do, circumcision was for the flesh, like it was in the law. And now it's about the law of the spirit. Meaning you don't, the heart needs to be circumcised, not the outer flesh. Okay, I think there's something that, okay. What was I saying? My brain. <laughs> okay. Moses and Zipporah, bride and bridegroom. Moses' feet are touched by his bride, showing the intimacy between the bride and the submission between the bride and the bridegroom. Now, what touches Moses' Moses's feet is the bloody foreskin of his firstborn son. It's like the first... Let me think through this. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. Mm, there's so much happening. Okay. It's like... The firstborn son's blood, his foreskin, the outer, the outer part, is now joining with the. Oh my gosh. Again, this is just me thinking about this. I think this is pointing to the Israel and the Gentiles joining, the Gentiles being grafted into the tree and becoming. The, like the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile, meaning the outer, the foreigner that was to be, we were supposed to separate from the foreigner, the quote unquote unclean, 
God can come and say, don't say, don't um, call unclean what I have called clean. When God gives Peter this vision of this unclean animals on a silver platter, on a platter, and then he tells, to, he tells Peter, eat. Eat. And that is in connection. Peter later realizes like, oh my goodness, literally after the Holy Spirit falls on the on on the Greek guys. Start with the C, I've forgotten. The guy who, Cleophas, I've forgotten the guy who sends for Peter. Literally when the Holy Spirit fills the family, Cleophas, that guy and his household, that's when Peter realizes, oh, so that's what the vision means. That's what, the, that's what God told me. Don't call these Gentiles unclean because I have made them clean. My spirit is residing in them the same way my spirit is, is residing in you, Jews. You. You. Hebrews. At, at that time, were they Hebrews or Jews? This is, I think I can remember correctly. Acts chapter 9 and 10. Acts chapter 9. Oh, chapter 10. Cornelius. Acts chapter 10. I'm not going to read all of it. I just want to read where Peter is explaining to the disciples. Because the disciples are like, how dare you go to baptize them? They're not one of us. You see, they are outsiders. They're not one of us. You see how I'm linking this with Moses, the bridegroom? Moses is symbolic of Christ who is the bridegroom now Moses's feet are being touched by the bride Kwanza Zipporah herself is an outsider she's not an Israelite Zipporah herself is a foreigner she's a Midianite so for Zipporah's for for the for the oh wow okay for the outsider, for, for the nations to be joined with Christ. Let me jump quickly to Zachariah. Zachariah chapter, chapter 3. Where God says the outside, the nations will come. The, the foreigners, they will join with me. Um. Chapter 2. Okay, perfect. Zechariah chapter 2. I'll start from verse 10. This is where the Lord sends the Lord. Um, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations, these are the foreigners, these are the outsiders, the unclean ones. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord. In that day and will become my people then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you so the Lord of hosts has sent Yahweh of hosts Yahweh Almighty has sent Yahweh because the one who's speaking here is Yahweh and he has been sent by Yahweh amazing then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. For Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh Almighty so loved the world that he sent 
his son Yahweh. That's what he clearly is saying. Actually, let me read from this part where we see these Yahweh, Yahweh Almighty and Yahweh of hosts. Verse from verse 6. Ho there, flee from the land of the north, declares Yahweh. For I have, Yahweh is the Lord in caps, right? For I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares Yahweh. O Zion, escape, you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, after glory, he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. It's like Moses being sent to free the Egypt, the Egyptians being told flee from Egypt. After glory, he has sent me against the nations which plunder you, which enslave you. For he who touches you, touches the apple of his eye, my firstborn son, my bride. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming. I, Yahweh, am coming. And I, Yahweh, will dwell in your midst, declares Yahweh. Many nations will join themselves. The joining, this is the the knowing, the intimate um, being one flesh with God and his bride, Christ and his bride. That's the joining. Many nations will join. The outsiders, the foreigners, will join themselves to Yahweh in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your mists and you will know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me, Yahweh, to you. Yahweh will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will gain, will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent all flesh before Yahweh for he is aroused from his holy habitation holy dwelling this is amazing I think if I have the time I could continue reading what I have written down and even today when I wrote down um, Romans because I started by saying I want to read Romans in Romans chapter 7 verse 8 we also see Paul quoting I think Isaiah where Isaiah is saying the other nations are going to come let me actually jump to just to that. I won't read the entire thing. I want to see what that part that Paul is saying, quoting Isaiah. Uh, I think it's verse 8. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe it's verse 9. Okay, it's verse 9. Let me write verse 9. Chapter 8, not verse, chapter chapter 7, 8 and 9. Okay, I want to see where the Lord is also bringing in the foreigners. Romans chapter 9, verse 23. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called, not for not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. 
as he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people. And her who was not beloved, my beloved. You see, God seeing my beloved, I started seeing that word being used in Song of Solomon. Okay, I didn't start seeing it there, but I remember it's fresh in my brain. So the apple of his eye, right? My people, those who are not my people, I'll call them my people. And her, and her, the bride, and her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. We're back to sonship. Firstborn sonship. Right? So this is amazing. It's amazing. So let me go back. Because I wanted to read another verse. And then I jumped to Zechariah. Which verse did I want to read? And then I jumped to Zechariah. <laughs> I think I was in Exodus maybe. I don't know. Was I in Exodus? Let me through, think through my notes. I went to there because of my people. Okay. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. So we see Moses, the bridegroom, points to Christ as a bridegroom. Zipporah, who's a Gentile, a Midianite, and her sons, who are also Midianites. Wait, are her sons Midianites if they have not been circumcised? I think so. So with a circumcision, right? With a circumcision, her son, because in, oh, let me actually read Genesis chapter 17, where God instructs Abraham with the circumcision because we even see those who are also not circumcised those who are not who are those who are for oh i was reading acts okay those who are foreigners let me jump let me read quickly genesis chapter 17 with the circumcision even the foreigners can become part of my people through circumcision excuse me Belch. I've, ne- I've not even eaten lunch i've taken like two spoons it's already cold <clears throat> uh, is it not John 17 okay Genesis 17 verse 23 then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all his servants no leave instruction okay 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 okay, okay. it's up here Genesis 17 verse 9, God said father to Abraham, now as for you, you shall keep my covenants. That's why even in my notes in the beginning, I wrote covenant because I was seeing something to do with covenant when it comes to circumcision, of course. So you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old 
shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant, right? A slave, a servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner, who is not of your descendants, a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall be surely be shall surely be circumcised thus shall thus shall my covenant be in your flesh this is the outward okay there's a flesh and the spirit so god is saying outwardly this is how you will know that you're part of my people like fleshly like physically circumcision will be that sign right okay so god is saying thus shall be that thus this is verse 13 thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant but an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that person shall be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant you see how this is pointing to like Zipporah and Moses Ooh, okay, Sarah. Okay, let's see if this is another wife, bride and bridegroom thing. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Interesting. Was Zipporah's name changed? <laughs> Let me Google and see. Was Zipporah? Was Zipporah's name changed? Who was Moses's wife? Did Moses have more than one wife? Who is the only woman whose name was changed? What happened to Zipporah's wife? Okay, it's fine. But the reason I'm been looking for the name change is like. I wanted to like find like a cheat code when it comes to these patterns. I like, I like a direct connection. But, but, you see, these are the first people who God makes a covenant with. Abraham and, and, Nini and his descendants. And Sarah is the bride of Abraham, who now becomes Abraham, right? Sarah is Abraham's wife. So for her to join, because she can't be circumcised, for her to join, I think God changes her name. I think that's how she she participates. Again, I'm just thinking through this because I'm trying to see if there's any connection with Zipporah and Moses. Because now with Zipporah, you know how Zipporah now it's like he it's like she claims Moses is her husband through circumcision. I think this is now how Sarah. Okay, Zipporah was still Moses' wife, even without the circumcision of their son. The same way Sarah was still Abraham's wife, without the circumcision of their sons and the, any male, right? They were still husband and wife. But I think the way the the way they joined God, the way they became became into a covenant with God, 
was through circumcision. Because first God tells Abraham to circumcise the male, right? And then now God says, in speaking of your wife, right? Now speaking of your wife, her name has now changed. That's interesting. That's something to think about. Now, I wanted to read Acts when it comes to Paul being told, do not call unclean what I have made clean. I think it's Acts chapter 10. Cornelius' vision. But I want to see where Paul is talking to the other disciples who are like, yo, the Holy Spirit is only for Jews, man. I just want to see if they're called Hebrews or Jews or Israelites. Okay, Peter reports at Jerusalem. <clears throat> now the apostles and the brethren who were through who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, right? You know now who are circumcised? The Israelites. Those who were circumcised took issue with him. Well, because they were like this. This is not how it's supposed to happen. Saying, you went to uncircumcised men. You see now, this is all, those who are unclean. So even in the Old Testament, when God talks about these animals are unclean and these animals are clean. God is showing a separation between those who are in his camp and those who are not in his camp. Those who are joined to him through through covenant and those who are not joined to him through covenant like that's the thread when it comes to clean and unclean those who can be in god's presence and who cannot be in god's presence and there were levels to this because even the high priest was the only one who could enter the holy of holies once once after sacrificing a lamb <clears throat> but anyway so the circumcised have an issue with the uncircumcised so it's a it's a us against them right you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them but peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence saying i was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance i saw a vision an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky and it came right down to me and when i had fixed my gaze on it and i was observing it i saw four-footed animals on the on the earth those are the unclean ones. And wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, what God has cleansed, no longer considered, what God has cleansed, no longer considered unholy. This happened three times and everything was drawn back up to the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Sisera. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me and we entered the man's house. So he explained to them, you know, he continues explaining how um, the guy was guy and his household cornelius and his household were baptized by the holy spirit so this i think it has a 
it's connected it's actually connected i think it's very much connected to zipporah and and moses exodus chapter 4 um then zipporah took a flint chapter 4 verse 24 now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, You are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. Bridegroom of blood because it is a covenant. Now we are in covenant. Now, I think now Zipporah is saying, Now you have become my bridegroom through covenant. And remember, she is a Gentile. Okay. So, he let him alone. God left Moses alone. At that time, when she said, you are a bridegroom of blood. Why? Because of the circumcision. So, Moses' life was spared by God, who, was, who sought to kill him. That's the question also that I, I still have not answered. Why did God seek? seek to kill Moses is he because is it because he is the head and he's the one who's supposed to have circumcised his son is it because he's like meaning like he's accountable the same way Adam is the one who's to blame for the fall because now Jesus becomes the last Adam who the first Adam brought sin and death and the last Adam brings life is it is that why these are questions these are the questions with a little confusion. Okay, this there's I think there's another tangent I want to take with just Jacob and Moses. <clears throat> if I should just read my notes or wait. Because there's a connection between that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So much happening. I think I'll continue studying. I think now I've like fleshed out what's happening in my brain. And even these are the new questions that I have. Like why did God seek to kill Moses? We know why Moses' life was saved. Because of the blood. Of the son. Oh let me actually think through that now. Okay. Moses and Zipporah, bride and bridegroom. Uh, bridegroom and bride, right? Moses and Zipporah. Moses is the bridegroom. Zipporah is the bride. Now, Zipporah is a Gentile. And her sons are Gentiles. For the Gentile to join in, the, in Christ's body, who is the bridegroom, it's through the blood of the son of the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn son, right? Um, so through Jesus's death, let me think through it. If the foreskin is the cutting off of the quote unquote unclean symbolically, not like physically, because God, every part that God created us with from the very beginning is good. I'm not talking about like sicknesses and and um, tumors and whatever but like the original body without sin was perfect was good 
right? And as far as science and facts and <laughs> history shows, every male is born with foreskin, if I'm not wrong, with a foreskin. So that is not like uh, part of the fall. And even in New Testament, Paul explains to us that, guys, this was pointing to the circumcision of the heart. Even in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, we're told that the hearts, the circumcision of the heart. So it's not only a New Testament thing. It's literally what God was, the revelation that God wanted us to have when Christ manifested and Christ fulfilled the righteousness of the law. <clears throat> so... That's why Paul can say there's no need for circumcision, physical, fleshly, the, the sign, the physical, bloody, fleshly sign of God's covenant. No. We're no longer following the law of the letter. We're not following the law of the spirit. Because the law of the letter was a shadow. It can't save. It can't forgive sin. But the spirit can. Right? The law of the spirit is love, loving God and loving our neighbor. And the spirit produces fruit, bears fruit. The law couldn't. And it's by faith because even in Deuteronomy when Moses tells the Israelites, before you I set before you blessings and curses, life and death, choose life. Choose life. They were supposed to to choose God by faith. It's not about rules. It's about submitting to the bridegroom. It's the bride who's supposed to submit to the bridegroom so that he can they can join and become one. But that later happened because human beings are not perfect and God knew the firstborn son, the offspring of the of Eve that firstborn is the one who's going to crush the head of the snake so that to make a way to make a way for both my people through the covenant through the descendants of Abraham Abraham, and the nations to join them and even in Romans I think Romans chapter 8 or verse 9, chapter 9 we see that Paul is explaining when God talks about the descendants your descendants Abraham will be my people an eternal covenant God is not talking about the flesh, those who are born, those who are physical, actual descendants by flesh, by blood of Abraham. No. It's by faith. Let me actually jump to Romans and see. No, is it Romans? Yeah. Romans chapter what? Chapter 8? Let me just scroll and see Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. So I have not highlighted it. Looking for Abraham. Okay, maybe it's nine. Abraham. Okay. Verse six. <clears throat> no, actually, let me start from verse from verse one. I am telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I wish I for I wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh interesting who are israelites a 
according to the flesh, meaning blood, the descendants, right? Those who are uh, by blood, right? Who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the, the, the promises. Whose are the fathers and from whom is Christ according to the flesh? That is Christ is born from that lineage, right? Who is overall God blessed forever and ever? So Paul is saying, yo, I'm talking to you guys right now because I wish I could like give you my salvation right now and I could be a cast. But now he's explaining why he wishes that. He says verse 6, but it is not as though the word of God failed. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. So Paul is saying, from saying, we are, we, are, we are Israelites by flesh. Like we can literally say our ancestors and ancestors and ancestors, you know, and, and point back to Abraham. We can do that us. But what God meant by Israel, my firstborn son, it was not the flesh. So Paul is explaining. I need you to understand that God's word has not failed. You need to understand what God actually has revealed then and now about his mission about his goal right he said god's word has not failed for they are not all israel who are descended from israel nor are they all children because they are abraham's descendants but through isaac your descendants will be named oh man this is why i want to read this jacob thing okay let me just continue reading but through isaac your descendants will be named Verse 8, that is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God. It's not by blood or ancestry. Mm -mm. But the children of the promise who, um, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. So when God is talking about the descendants of Abraham, he's talking about the children of the promise. Okay, he continues explaining. At this time, I will come, he's quoting, at this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Right, that's Genesis. And not only this, Paul continues, but there was Rebecca also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. That's what I was saying, like when it comes to the firstborn and like the secondborn or the youngerborn, there's that thread when it comes to like the usurping of the birthright kind of, right? The older serving the younger. Verse 13, even with Joseph and his, his Joseph is like one of the young ones. After him is like, such that be his brother, but Benjamin, right? It's Joseph and then the younger one, Benjamin. They are the youngest, right? But then Joseph, who is younger than his older brothers, Reuben and Judah, those guys who are seeking to kill him, guess who serves the other one, right? Guess who's bowing down to the other one? So that's the thread I was even pointing to. So here, Paul is saying, even with Rebecca, the twins, right? It's, it's the one who God calls, it's God's will. God chose David. David did not choose himself. God chose David. 
right? God chose Joseph. That's why I want to talk about the Jacob thing because we see God choosing Jacob. Even though he stole the birthright, even though it's like there's a there's a redeeming happening with Jacob that I want to study. So Paul continues and says, it was said, oh, so Paul is saying, it's not about a tea. We see with Abraham, right? It's about the children of the promise. So it's not about uh, the rules, aka the rules of this world that it's I am an heir because I belong to this family and my ancestry goes back to Abraham. Now I have the right to own. No, 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 no. To be joined with God. No, 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 no. Paul is saying it's not that. It's not even when it comes to the firstborn birthright thing. We see even God changing that. God working around. Not even working around. Like God is not bound to our rules. But because I'm, I'm connected by birth and by blood to Abraham, then I have a right to be called a child of God. Paul is saying no. It's not about the blood and it's not even about the birthright. Because we see Rebecca has twins and guess what Rebecca is told? The younger one will be served by the older one. The older one will serve the younger one. So when even when in a birthright situation, the firstborn is supposed to be the heir and have the birthright, God can do whatever he wants. God can decide how he wants to bring his will on earth. That's the point. God can decide how he wants to save. Because people are here saying, oh, if God is the most powerful, the most powerful, why does he have to die? Why does he have to die? Of course, there is. God does not just do anything for the sake. There is truth. There is meaning. There's life, there's truth, there's, um, there's sense. God makes sense. There's wisdom, I think that's the word. There's wisdom to everything God does because he is wisdom. So it's not that God just decided, oh, okay, let me just choose to die and whatever. No, no, there's wisdom. It makes sense. But because we think like, oh no, for somebody to save, he, may, he first needs to make sure from the very beginning to the end, there's nothing wrong that happens to the to the human beings even though god has given us free will he should force us to not do harm because like we try to make sense with our own human minds and that's what the israelites are trying to do and paul is saying you i need you to understand the revelation that god has god has given us how we're supposed to be joined to him he chose to send his son to die for whoever believes to receive eternal life. That's God's will. And then he gives them example. That's why you can't say God, God failed. Because the, second temp, because the temple was ruined. God's word failed. No. It's you who's not understanding. How God works. How me. God's word. It's you who's not understanding. It's not by blood. And it's not by, by birthright. Because guess who served the other one? Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Right? Verse 14. Now Paul is speaking to the Israelites. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, 
I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. So it's not about the human will or the human understanding. It's about God's wisdom and his will. Right? Okay, verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, that's why I was saying I want to read Romans because it's pointing back to the scriptures that I've been talking about. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this, I don't know if I should continue reading this. I think I'll read it next. I wanted to read this part about Abraham. I, I'll still, in the next episode, next week, I'll still continue reading and I'll read Romans. But I wanted to read the Abraham, Abraham part, right? So I've read about God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17 about circumcision. And then we see like, oh, okay. So God's entire point is this circumcision of the flesh was pointing to the circumcision of the heart. Let me actually Google circumcision of the heart, Old Testament, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Lest my, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with no one, with none to quench it. Because of the evil deeds of, because of your evil deeds. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. How? Remove the foreskin of your hearts. Oh, let me actually Google this. Because I think the foreskin is symbolic of the quote-unquote unclean. That which is unclean. The outer. Right? The outer um, is the foreskin symbolic of the outer the unclean what is the meaning of circumcised and uncircumcised in the bible what does foreskins represent in the bible uh, ezekiel chapter 32 shame is in proximity is in is in close proximity to two and therefore associated with being uncircumcised that is a foreskin in leviticus chapter 12 verse 3 the foreskin seems to be an unclean body part where it obstructs the way to cleanliness even for the mother in the previous verse. I think it's pointing to the unclean thing. It's pointing to the outer, like the foreigner who's unclean, right? So even when, we, when God tells us to circumcise our hearts, one, we can't do that. It's very clear we can't do that on our own. We can't make ourselves clean God is telling us to separate ourselves from the unclean. Remove that which is unclean from your hearts. So obviously, by obviously I mean like because it's in God's word, even in the Old Testament, we see that that is the goal that God was telling us. The unclean needs to be separated from you. From you. you need to be set apart. Right? And now how that happens is Christ is the one 
who can make us clean. He says that in John, I have made you clean because of the, because of the word I have spoken to you. So because God's, Jesus is the word made flesh. John chapter 1, right? He's the word. So with Jesus in our hearts, he says he's coming to be in our hearts. He is the word who, who, who um, tabernacles in our hearts, who resides in us. He makes us clean. Husbands love your wives just as Christ. <laughs> Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved his bride, the church, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to make her clean by cleansing her by the washing with water through the word so as to present her to himself without wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless Christ is the only one God himself Yahweh himself Zachariah right he's the only one who can cleanse. I think I didn't even finish reading Zechariah where he will be a wall of fire. Did I read that part? But anyway, he is the only one who can cleanse because he is the word. So when Christ says, I have made you clean because of the word I have spoken to you, he speaks truth because he is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The spirit of truth, his spirit, the spirit of Christ, lives in us, building us the living stones, right? Brick by brick, sanctification, renewing our minds. This is a circumcision of the heart, the setting apart the unclean and the clean. And connecting this with the desire, because I came, I, 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 um, I came to study this circumcision of the heart because of the desires of the heart, the, the study that I had started studying. We have fleshly desires and we have, we have fleshly desires. So what God does, he comes to take away our fleshly heart's desires and through circumcision, he gives us his desires. Um, God gives us his desires of our hearts. <clears throat> Bible verse. Psalms chapter 37 verse 4. Um, Psalms, let me open. Psalms chapter 37 verse 4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight. Delight. You see delight and desire? The one that I was studying last time. Delight. Teresa. Was it Teresa? Teresa. Taza. Taza. Means delight. Taza. But also... I remember seeing delight connected to desire. Yeah, pleasing, hamad, to desire, take pleasure in, used uh, as attracted, covert, delight, desirable, precious. 
take delight in the Lord. You actually see the Hebrew. Delight. Delight yourself. Anog. Delicateness. Delight. 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 Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because... Because... A-N-O-G... Oh, this is Abba. Okay. It's fine. Don't claim to understand Hebrew, but... I love the fact that this is delight. Right? Because it's also connected to the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So that's the circumcision of the heart. The cutting off of the foreskin of the heart. Cutting off that which is unclean. And then God giving us himself. Literally God giving us himself. He is a clean one. He's the only one who can make us clean. So let me go back now to Moses. So the bridegroom. Moses. Okay, okay, okay. Wow. Okay. Wow. Jesus comes to save his bride, both Jews and the Gentiles. Moses is going, Moses the bridegroom, is going to save the bride, right? The Israelites. But also there are Gentiles who are allowed to be in covenant with God. Because Zipporah is pointing, is, is a light that is shining to like how Gentiles are welcomed. How Gentiles can be made, can, can be joined to God. Even in Genesis chapter 17, God is telling Abraham, you will circumcise those who, your sons, your descendants, and also those who are your servants. They also can be part, they can also join. They can also experience the, uh, your, the, the, the treasures and the inheritance of being close to me, of being my people through circumcision. So we see that happen even with Zipporah and her son. But I want to think, when it comes to the foreskin and uh, Moses' feet. So if Jesus, I want to see if I can see if there's any connection between Moses' son, Gashom, Gashom, and Jesus. So if Gashom is the firstborn son and he is, he is circumcised, and his blood saves his father? Ah, wait. Okay. Like, this is something I know I have no clue when it comes to how the thought of this. But there's this, um, there's this guy I've been following. Um, the symbolic world. Um, Jonathan Pajot. He talks about how the son saves the father. Um, he talks about how Pinocchio, is it Pinocchio? Uh, Jonathan, maybe he has, in the, he has written an, an article. Jonathan Pajot, the son saves his father. 
because he, he links all this to how Christ saves his father from the underworld. He links all this to um, to the Bible. Okay, literally that's the title of the YouTube. I think I'll attach it. How Christ saves his father from the underworld. Because I'm asking myself, like, how does... If Christ is foreshadowed through Gashom, the firstborn son of Moses, because Gashom, again, Christ is not of this world. Meaning he's not a tier Hebrew. He's born into the Nini, but he he he's born as a Hebrew, but he he existed before being brought into the world. So, because I have asked myself the question, like, how can Gashom be point symbol pointing to Christ if he's a Midianite? He's a son of Moses, yes. Um, Maybe because Moses is an Israelite, then Gashom immediately becomes an Israelite. I don't know, but maybe that he's also linked to like a Gentile mother. So I really want to listen to this Jonathan Pajot thing, how Christ saves his father. Because I'm seeing like if Christ is symbolized by Gashom, Moses' firstborn son, and it's through the blood, the circumcision, that his blood saves his father. And the foreskin, by the touching of the feet, saves Moses. Because again, I have this looming question. Why does God want to kill Moses? Right? I'm following this God speaking to Moses saying, Israel, my firstborn son, is enslaved and I want to set him free. And I'm sending you to Pharaoh to go tell Pharaoh, if he doesn't set free my firstborn son, I'm going to kill his firstborn son. So there's the mention of the son and the killing. Okay. Then immediately in verse 24, we see God is seeking to kill Moses. After After God says, I will kill Pharaoh's firstborn son, God seeks to kill Moses. Even in the first the first day I, I saw the bridegroom of blood and I started studying this, I was asking myself, wait, is it because Moses was brought up in the Egypt as a as a son of Pharaoh? Like is that a thing? Is that why? <laughs> like is that why? I d I don't know. Let me pause for a minute. Okay. So I had to ask myself, like was Moses was like was God trying to kill Moses because he was part of like Pharaoh's family one day one time way back when and I was like why is God emphasizing on firstborn son and then his firstborn son and then Pharaoh's firstborn son and then now Moses has a firstborn son who's being circumcised and God is trying to kill Moses because I would I would understand quote unquote under in quotes understand if I understand, I don't know which word, which word to use. I would think, like, okay, we're talking about sons being saved or being killed. Then why not God try to kill Moses' son, right? That would kind of immediately make sense because you're following this narrative of, oh, we're trying to save the son. And if the son is not saved, then your son will be killed. And now I'm thinking, oh, wait. Okay, so the only way the son is saved 
he has to be circumcised. So that's why Moses' son is circumcised because God was seeking to kill him. And so now he's... But then no, we, we are clearly told God is not trying to kill Moses' son. Mm -mm, he's trying to kill Moses. <laughs> like what? So that's like the looming question, overall question. I still don't know. But then again, I went to Jonathan Pajot because I remember, I remember, I listened to him, right? Um... And one of those days that I was listening to him, because the first time that's, that statement like Christ saves his father or like the son saves his father, it did not make sense to me. Meaning like I did, I did not understand like what? And I'm sure I, I'm sure I um, listened to him explain, <laughs> but because I can't even, nothing comes to mind. That means I did not understand at the time. So I'll, after this, um, I'll go and listen back to that. Because I have now in mind, if God is trying to kill Moses, that's a fact. He's, try he's seeking to kill Moses. And how Moses' life is saved. Because eventually Moses doesn't die. How Moses' life is saved is by his bride, his wife circumcising their firstborn son Gashom and taking the foreskin the outer the unclean part the bloody part and touching Moses's feet with it right that's how Moses's life is saved I've talked a lot about the Gentiles and by a lot I mean I have touched on the Gentiles and the Israelites being one members different members of the one body of christ right the christ is the bridegroom and all the nations are now welcomed don't call unclean what i have made clean so now the gentiles are welcomed to join with yahweh and i think i'm seeing that with zipporah saying you are now let me actually read you are a bridegroom of blood oh, no, I want to read the verse you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me so how I'm understanding that now um, currently because in verse 26 is because of circumcision right because of circumcision, Zipporah has now joined the covenant. But why is God trying to kill Moses? Why? Okay, I'm just from reading in Genesis chapter 17 that whoever is not circumcised is not, should be cut off. Oh, like the foreskin being cut off. Yo. Is there a connection between that? The same way the foreskin is cut off the body, then whoever is not circumcised should be cut off. And whoever is not circumcised, that means he is unclean. That's why I think the foreskin symbolizes the unclean. Doesn't mean like generally the foreskin is unclean, but any part of the body can be unclean anyway. But but by unclean I mean physically dirty, any part of the body. But to God, in God's eyes, no, the foreskin is not unclean. It's symbolizing, it's pointing to 
something else the same way our hearts god is not talking about the pumping blood or he's not talking about like they it's all spiritual all these things are spiritual so i am seeing the gentiles being the gentiles joining god saying that the gentiles will join through blood through blood the blood of the son now that is jesus right that is jesus the son's blood is the one that joins the bride and the bridegroom it's the one that brings the bride to the bridegroom it for god so loved the world god yahweh loved his bride he loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in he gave him to die he gave him up to die it's not just like oh take him as a gift live with him have fun no no his blood had to be shed shed a body you prepared for me that is hebrews jesus saying a body you prepared for me because the blood of bulls and the blood of cows they don't please you they don't please you so somehow god is not pleased with moses what is it about moses that god is not pleased with I'm actually asking myself that question. What is it about Moses that God is not pleased with so much so that he seeks to kill him? Should I even mention this? No, I I think that the Jacob thing is another thing. Let me actually just mention that and then pause here so that I can continue studying this for next week because I don't have um I don't have the space to continue studying. Jacob is another person who God seeks to fight and kill. I don't know if the angel was coming to kill Jacob, but these are they were fighting. Let me actually see was it 28 15 18 Genesis 27 Oh, perfect. Genesis 28. So Jacob has this dream, right? Okay, okay, okay. Uh-huh. Verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you. This is Jacob. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, "Surely Yahweh is in this place." And I did not know it. He was afraid and said, "How awesome is this place! There is none other than the this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven." So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top he called the he called the name of that place bethel however previously the name of the city had been luz 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 then jacob made a vow saying if god will be with me and will keep me on this journey and that i take wait i'm trying to skim through down here where did god fight with him okay 
um, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then Yahweh will be my God. This stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Why does Jacob fight with the angel? Hmm. Hmm. Why does the fight happen? Huh. Let me Google. Jacob fights with God. Or oh, thirty two, Genesis thirty two. <laughs> Jacob wrestles. Verse twenty four, Jacob. Genesis 32:24 Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. <laughs> That's it. Ah, uh, he rose with two and he sent whatever. Okay. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dis dislocated while he wrestled with him then he said let me go for the dawn is breaking but he said i will not let you go unless you bless me so he said to me he said to him what is your name and he said jacob he said your name shall no longer be jacob but israel for you have striven with god and with men and have prevailed then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel. 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 For he said, I have seen God face to face. Yet my life has been pres preserved. Um, there's a footnote. So Jacob named the place the face of God, Peniel, the face of God. Okay. Hmm. The reason why I even talked about Jacob in my notes is because one, it's the fighting thing. Was the was was God right trying to kill? and speak was God trying to kill Jacob like it wasn't for fun it wasn't like oh let me go just try to fight Jacob that's why I thought of Jacob when I read Moses again when I read again Moses God seeking to kill Moses I remember Jacob and then there's so much I want to let me not go get into it, but that's why I remember Jacob. And even in my notes here, I have so many questions. Let me actually ask the questions so that 
these are this is what I'm going to focus on in the next study. One, I'll still focus on the bridegroom of blood because there's so much. There's so there are so many questions with Gashom. If he's pointing to Christ, does it mean Christ saves his father? Is that a link that I should think about, or I'm thinking too much into it? Um, but there's something to do with. Maybe Moses is not the father in this case if Christ is the son, but Moses is pointing to the bride. And so through it's like uh, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Because Christ comes to the world. God sends his son to die to for his blood to be shed for the world. There's life in the blood. There's life in the blood. That's what God tells Noah. There's life in the blood. But then if Jesus is foreshadowed by Gashom, Moses' firstborn son, does that mean Jesus is... How is Jesus cut off from the unclean? Is it by death? He's cut off from the world. Jesus is, Jesus is cut off from the world. Wait, that sounds familiar. Is there a verse that says that? Jesus is cut off from the world. Isaiah, Jesus, you may cut off from the land of the living. Ah, yeah, Isaiah 53. Yeah, Isaiah 53 talks about being cut off. The reason I'm, I'm focusing on cutting off is because of the foreskin thing. Because I'm asking myself, if Gashom saves his father by the cutting off of his foreskin, so how is Jesus cut off? But Jesus is not symbolized. Jesus is Oh gosh. Of course this look, I'm not I'm telling myself look. I'm not trying to like fit this puzzle perfectly when it comes to let me just exchange Jesus and the Son and see if everything no, I know it doesn't work like that. Only maybe Moses can symbolize Jesus or maybe only Zipporah can symbolize it. Like it doesn't have to fit perfectly. I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to work my brain and see. So Isaiah 53 talks about being cut off from the land of the living. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his transgression who considered that he and as for his transgression who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due for the transgression of my people. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. So then my people here, I'm seeing Moses. Moses' life had to be saved through the cutting off, through the circumcision. Does Jesus' death point to circumcision? Let me think before I Google. Jesus was clean from the very beginning. Since he was born, he's clean. 
So there's no uncleanness found in him. It's not like Jesus is kashom and the foreskin is the unclean part and he has to be cut off. That the uncleanness has to be cut off. There's not that. But he does take on the sin of the people on the cross, right? Jesus does take on the sin of the people on the cross, the sin of the world on the cross. So for the for life to for us to receive life, that sin has to be cut off. That makes sense, right? It's true that because I'm I'm thinking, if Gashom in one way or another, Moses' firstborn son, who is both God and man, this is Jesus. When I say Moses' firstborn son in my head, I've thought about okay, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He is the creator. Through him, by him, for him, in him, everything was created. Nothing was created without him. That's John 1 and also that's, um, I think, Corinthians 15. So, that God who was born by a woman under the law, Galatians chapter 4, And in Philippians, we are told that he, ha- he who in the very nature God did not seek uh, the, 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 the likeness of God something to um, Philippians. My brain is thinking through this. Philippians chapter what chapter Okay, I'm so sure it's Philippians, but be like Christ. Do nothing. Do not merely have this attitude. Yes, Philippians chapter two, verse three. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Wash each other's feet, right? Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, it's about the heart's desire, 
but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasps, grasped, but emptied himself. He emptied himself. He submitted. He humbled himself. Taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. My point in reading this is if I'm comparing Jesus, if I'm seeing, trying to see if Jesus is foreshadowed in Gashom, the firstborn son of Moses, who has to be circumcised, the blood has to be shed, to be shed, to save a life. Now Jesus, who is both God and man, right? That's why I've mentioned these verses, these verses. Jesus is both God and man. Who has to shed his blood to save mankind? Now with Gashom, the reason why I'm saying Jesus is both God and man, Gashom is born of a father who is linked to Abraham, but of a mother who is not. A Midianite mother and an Israelite father, Moses and Zipporah. So he 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 becomes an Israelite through circumcision. Right? Yeah. Anyone, actually, anyone, anyone. You're just not born as an Israelite. By an Israelite, I, I mean, like, of course, you have, you are, like, you are an Israelite, but... When it comes to the Israel, an, an Israelite meaning one who is in covenant with God, pointing back to Abraham, you know, the covenant is through the, the sign needs to be on the flesh. So maybe I'm, I'm, I'm pulling to strings that one, like I'm, Yeah. My point is Jesus Jesus' blood has to be shed. Now this is the point where now I'll I'll look into what Jonathan Pajot says when it comes to the son saving the father. Right? Um this guy, Gashom saving his father from death. Because Moses was was about to die. Somehow we're not it's not explained how, but we're told God is seeking to kill him. And then God lets lets him go after Zipporah touches Moses' feet with the foreskin, bloody foreskin of their firstborn son, and says, It's literally after she says, You are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. 
So there's that. The foreskin is the outer. Foreskin is the outer, the unclean, that touches the feet. Okay, I, I think this is the moment I'll just pause. Should I read these questions when it comes to Jacob? <laughs> Let me read them and then now I pray and I'll continue thinking about this this study. There's so many things, even in connection to like the, like I, from what I've studied now about the bridegroom and the bride and the feet and that intimacy connection and all these things, I'm seeing even in my notes I had mentioned about the bridal chamber. It's connection with the with the head, the letter eight, circumcision, the eighth day, all these things. I think I'll continue studying them next week. So these are the questions I asked myself when I read Jacob. I said, so Jacob meets the Lord and Jacob met the Lord and fought with the Lord and the Lord changed his name. Question. Does this have anything to do with circumcision, like the change of heart? The reason also something I saw with Jacob was like, his name is Israel. And then God saying, Israel, my firstborn son, like the original, the origin, the origin of Israel is Jacob. I mean, it's Abraham because all God is for God is um being faithful to up to the promise he gave Abraham to the covenant with Abraham, but also the point with like Israel. Right? And it's pointing to Jacob because even with the Jacob and the birthright thing. Let me let me read. <laughs> These are the questions. Does this have anything to do with circumcision? Like the change of heart? Like Jacob's heart being changed. Um, another question. Was the name change from Jacob to Israel a covenant act? A covenantal act? Covenant act of which and covenant act? Um, the third question. In Exodus chapter 4 verse 22. When the Lord says, Israel is my son. My firstborn son. Is it pointing back to Jacob being, in quotes, reborn? as Israel the same Jacob who got the birthright from his twin brother Esau making him Jacob the firstborn and then I continued so was the name change God so was the name change God formally in quotes formally acknowledging that Jacob who is now Israel as the firstborn like was the name change God Formally acknowledging Jacob as the firstborn. So I'm asking myself these questions because there are other questions. But I'm asking myself th these questions like, okay, I'm seeing a, a connection with my study between Jacob and Moses when they're fighting with God. I'm also seeing a connection between God saying, Israel, my firstborn son. And I, when you say Israel, I'm thinking Jacob, right? Like, oh. And how, was, how did Jacob become a firstborn? He literally took the birthright of his brother Esau. Right? He took it. <laughs> oh 
And so I think God changing his name to Israel is a redeeming thing. That's why I asked myself, is it covenantal, like a covenant in any way? Because like from then on, the Israel nation are known as Israelites. From their father Israel, why not Abrahamites or like Isaac Alites? Or like, I know it's because like we are following Isaac, the son Jacob. But then why not follow from Jacob? We see, okay, the 12 tribes. Okay, okay, I understand. Jacob 12 tribes. Okay. But okay. Yeah, so I mean, I understand why they are called Israelites because they are the 12 tribes. Now we are following the narrative of the 12 tribes. Um, but when it comes to like the firstborn, there's a birthright connection with Jacob, who's now Israel. Then God's saying, now Israel is my firstborn son. Because now God blesses Jacob after the dream. And there's the fighting where he's also blessed and the name change. I think I'll just pause there. Because with the circumcision also it's like it's it's not physical with god it's the heart it's all about the heart it's spiritual so even i I asked myself like was jacob's heart circumcised you know and did he like become a new creation in brackets when his name was changed to like israel like was that how his heart was circumcised all these questions i have all these questions and many more so i think i'm just going to pause there today's uh, episode stroke study was just me thinking through these notes and finding out that there are other ways of understanding bridegroom of blood other ways other people have understood it so i wanted to think through it and see if it made sense if i could make sense of it and i think so far i've taken some steps that I'm sure I can follow and see where it leads. So I'm going to pause now and publish this episode and then listen to Jonathan Pajot's mini um, YouTube video about Jesus saving his father, the son saving the father. So I think that's it. So thank you, God, for being faithful because you have guided me again, again, through another study um thank you for being patient with me thank you for being thank you for being a master that humbles himself and serves his bride thank you for cleaning purifying and sanctifying me as a member of the bride and also your bride I know sometimes I get um, intimidated (laughs) by studying, like when it comes to studying. But you've always, like literally you've always guided me so. And you're so welcoming when it comes to like, it's like a child. I'm a child. I'm your child. I am. I'm your child and I have so many questions. And you welcome my questions. And you can answer my questions. So God, because you are wisdom, 
and you've told us to come to the table to ask for wisdom as Solomon did and we will you will give us the fruit you will give us wisdom so thank you God for always giving me wisdom I'm praying also for wisdom for more wisdom when it comes to understanding your word and not just finding patterns and threads but understanding what you actually want me to understand why did Moses have to be touched by the foreskin like why what does that have to do with me as a human being and me as your bride and you I want to know your heart and your mind I want to understand how you think like I want to know you I want to know you You're the faithful one. You are the clean one. You're the holy one. And I'm only clean. And I'm only holy. Because I am in you. Because you have joined me to you. To your spirit. I think I need to be aware of that. during the day um, I'm praying for peace in my country I'm praying for wisdom for the leaders in my country from the scouts, the leaders from the prefects in classes, from the firstborns in houses and homes from the parents to the teachers to um, the community leaders to um the chiefs and the government leaders and the county leaders and the organizations the leaders in organizations every leader in this nation I pray God that you speak to us and guide us on how to build using your wisdom how to be fruitful in the areas that we are in that we are serving how to wash the feet of our neighbor bring closer to you those who are not part of you yet may they see the light may they eat of the from the tree of life and not the tree of knowing good and evil may they not choose their own path of wisdom but may they humble themselves like the woman who was forgiven much Martha who who anointed Christ's feet she knew she knew that God took her from the pit, from the pig's pen, from the mud pit, the prodigal son. May we see ourselves as people who need, who need to be clean, 
and may we be grateful truly truly grateful when you have made when we when we are made clean humble of hearts so thank you god um cover and protect my family protect our minds protect our hearts protect our bodies we're praying for godly unions um bridegroom and brides those who are marrying into the family and those yeah those who are marrying into the family and us who will be married off <laughs> into other families we're praying for partners who have surrendered and humbled themselves to you who will love us as Christ loves church and both us and them will submit to each other as we do to the lord so i still don't understand the breakdown of blood kabisa so god i know during the week even now you'll continue teaching me so i'm praying uh that I continue listening because I'm not perfect. I don't just dismiss you. So guide me. Um bless the works of our hands. And wherever you're in whichever corner of this world your bride is that you strengthen them give us boldness strengthen us give us confidence and boldness to speak truth without fear may we not may we not be ashamed because if we are ashamed then you are ashamed if the word ashamed may we not be put to shame that's the word may we not be put to shame like moses said how can we how can how any if we go without you then the other nations will see will be like you have they'll they'll see that you've forsaken us if we are not if we go without you your reputation will be at hand like not at hand your reputation will be um at stake <laughs> i said at hand <laughs> but it's true it's true it's true it's not testing god because my brain is like you're testing god it's not testing god it's speaking god's word 
and reminding God. You've told us to remind you of your word. So God, wherever we are, we're praying for mighty works. We're praying for knowledge and wisdom. May we speak as the bride of Christ, as heirs of your wealth, of your kingdom. May we look the part. May we sound the part. May we act the part. May we walk as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Refine us and may we shine so bright. May we shine so bright that we attract that we attract those who are not yet one with you to you. May we attract them to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, trusting and believing. Amen. Thank you, God. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Hopefully you'll be joining me every Tuesday for new episodes of the Trying Podcast. Stay safe, guys. Bye.